You are now listening to Conscientization 101, an online magazine combining reflection, music, and action through independent media. 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 I think that the only way that we're going to realize freedom, justice, equality, decent living for people is if there's a complete change, a complete change, everything has has got to be turned around and that that's a revolution. It's a revolution. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Conscientization 101 podcast, and I am your host, Managing Editor, Zari Sundiata, and today we have an episode with the Southern California Library. We talked to both of the directors there, Michelle Welsing and Yusef Omawali, and we had a really, really good conversation with them. I really enjoyed talking to them because they brought up you know, they brought up some new perspectives, you know, things that, you know, that people need to consider, you know, and, and then I just love it. I like how people like bring stuff in and then it like helps you to like develop your understanding and your political, you know, uh, vantage point. I love it. So it was really good. We had a lot of fun. So just to let you know a little bit more about the Southern California Library, the library documents and makes accessible histories of struggles that challenge racism and other systems of oppression so we can all imagine and sustain possibilities for freedom. Southern California Library is a community library and archive located in South Los Angeles. Founded 50 years ago, the library holds extensive collections of histories of community resistance in Los Angeles and beyond. Anyone may come and use the library's resources to research and put to practice the histories of everyday people working to create change. You know, when they say everyone can come, I think that is also great because, you know, usually you have these resources and, and these histories that are locked away to die in some academy somewhere where only two people can ever see it, you know? So I think, I mean, I, hey, I already said it. I, I just love what they do. And, you know, when you go there, they also have public computers. You can rent space for community events. They have online archives. They have a foundation center that can assist with research and obtaining grants. You know, they have all kinds of stuff and it's just two of them, you know, so they, they have to be organized to get all this done. So the, this is just excerpts of the show as usual. And the whole entire interview went over 90 minutes. So that's how long we talked, you know. And as usual, we'll let you know how to access the full interview at the end of the show and much more as a subscriber. So, also, let me remind you that we're going to have some changes to the site that are really exciting. So, stay tuned for those. Um, we're going to give you updates periodically. And, unfortunately, we had a few technical difficulties during the show, but we fixed it all. Um, we had a few dropouts, but it's, 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 it's continuous. You'll be able to understand it. So, we worked it out. And we will see you at the end of the show. Hope you enjoy.
Welcome, Youssef and Michelle. Um, we're glad to have you both um, from the Southern California Library. And um, we're going to just get started, you know, because we're going to talk about the history of the library and everything. And when we looked at the site, we saw that it was founded by um, Emil Freed, who was a member of the Communist Party. It looks like he, he was, you know, trying to gather a lot of leftist information that was he felt was in danger of, you know, being lost. So he gathered it all and, and he put it in that space. So it, it, you know, considering that it's been political changes, you know, especially the climate just in the world, period, and demographic <clears throat> and demographic changes in Southern California. Can y'all talk about the history, just a little bit more detail of the history, how it's evolved over the years and like what it, what it is today? Yeah, we'd be happy to. Um, you know, the, the library is actually over 50 years old. Um, and uh, in that time, it's it's just, we, there's been three directors. But in each of those, um, we've, it's kind of been through different eras over the years. So as you say, Emil, Emil was, um, you know, a member of the Communist Party, but he's also an activist. And the people who helped to found the library were, were also themselves activists. So they were working with a lot of the people that were actually creating change in Los Angeles at, at the time. And that's how we actually got some of the collections we have, like the papers of Charlotte Bass, um, who was, you know, ran the California Eagle for, you know, 40 years and, you know, ran for Vice President of the United States in 1952. So we, we got some of those collections because they were actually working with the people who were working to create change. Um, but, uh, and, of course, this is post-McCarthy, as during the McCarthy era, when people were afraid to be caught with certain materials, so they had said, you know, just bring it to us, we'll keep it. And they were taking certain risks to do that. Um, but it was worth it to them. They thought it was important to keep those histories. But at the time, uh, it wasn't, it, you know, I've, I've heard that it was like floor-to-ceiling filing cabinets and boxes. It wasn't really um, organized. It was just, you know, they just collected all the material and they had it. And they, it was, you know, from organizations they were themselves working with. So the this, this sort of next era of the library was um, after ML passed, uh, a new set of staff came in, and they had more of a background in librarianship and history, and, and they started to bring greater organization to materials. And I would say that's when um, it started began to be known in, say, academic circles, um, among people writing books on Los Angeles, filmmakers, it started to gain that reputation as a source of grassroots history on Los Angeles. Um, and um, it began to get more use. But it was still sort of limited to those kind of academic circles and um, you know, grad students and professors and, and uh, folks like that in higher ed. And um, it you know, wasn't really used so much beyond those, those sort of... Um, um, Communities, and uh, it's it's interesting because you know a lot of the histories we hold are of uh, sort of uh, marginalized communities of, of color, and but the people whose histories we held weren't really um, making use of the materials. So I would say over the last ten years or so, our work has really been thinking about how do we make the library useful and accessible. To, to people living and working in communities um, like the one we're in, we're located in South Los Angeles. And, uh, you know, one of the hardest hit areas in this region in terms of poverty and, um, you know, the effects 
you know, it has on people's lives in terms of suffering. And, um, but, you know, communities of color largely weren't using the library. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, so that that has been our work over the last ten years is to increase that access and just to, to make what we have here more meaningful and relevant um, in terms of people's actual lived realities. And uh, yeah, and I have to say it's it's been. I mean, I could not have imagined the response that we got. Um, it's been um, pretty amazing to see. It's, it's like. You know, we went from having less than, you know, 200 people walk through the doors in a, in a year tap to that number going up to over 10,000. Mm. You know, or, yeah, yeah. Or, uh, you know, we sometimes will help more researchers in a month than we used to get in an entire year. And it's interesting because uh, it's just a lot more people of color coming in to do research, you know, uh, somehow it's, it's just like people just kind of know, okay, it's okay to come here. <laughs> and <laughs> you know, and uh, it, it, even people in the neighborhood who used to walk by for um, years and, you know, till, so I walked by for 30 years and never thought of coming in. And, um, you know, just tried to create a welcoming space and a space where people felt like, okay, this is, I, I can come here, this is mine too. And, um, so that that's really been what the work has been over the, over the last ten years. I actually uh actually like uh what you uh, said, Michelle, because it's kind of like um uh you know Joao told us about the library and the library and the thing about it is it's like when I was like I wonder is the library just for researchers and stuff like just for academicians you know and you know like you're saying it's for everybody and stuff like that so I thought that was to get people in the mode to say, hey, we can do research too. We have, get some theory and action things going on there too. So, yeah. And that's important because they have a, a African-American museum here in Houston. And it was this big controversy because they won't let the community in. So, Is that right? Yeah. I mean, they just have the library and, you know, it's like limited to probably academics and stuff like that. But, you know, people were like upset because they were like, we can't even go in the library and look at whatever y'all have, you know, or the museum. And Yeah. And worse than that, it's not even in the African-American, as right, I said. Right. It's not. It's not even, it's not in, even in the, the community. African community. Is it like well, it's a gentrified community? It's <laughs> close to it, but <laughs> but yeah, I agree. Like the study, yeah. Well, you know, it's it's you know part of our 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 mission actually is to um, document and make accessible histories of struggle that challenge racism and other systems of oppression, so we can all imagine and sustain possibilities for freedom. And I think that's important because it's like if we don't have access to our own history, yes. you know, what are we missing out on? You know. Um, shouldn't the people most impacted by the issues be the be the ones who have access to those histories? You know, so that you know, like we say, we can imagine and sustain those possibilities for freedom. Well, we need access to the the histories to be you know that's gonna that's gonna help us do that. Exactly, and it has to be like like you said, accessible. Otherwise, it's like when you're trying to sustain these possibilities for freedom, for conscientization, and trying to change, you know, these oppressive material uh objective conditions we live in if you have no memory of past struggles you're like starting on empty it's like you have an amnesia all the time or something like that so it's just yeah, yeah I, I mean that's you know 
we sometimes have students and groups come in for workshops and things, and that's what I usually say is, but this this is our memory. And if you don't have your memory, then you don't know who you are, you mm. don't know where you're going, where you're going that's how, right. are you gonna, how are you, you going to accomplish anything up without your memory? So, it, you know, they, back in Emil's day, you know, they saw it as urgent enough to risk, you know, going to jail, yeah. their job, and we we say, say it's that same urgency right now. We need access to these histories to be able to address the challenges we're facing today. It's not history for history's sake. It's, it's so we can understand where we are and what exactly. Exactly. I wish you could see. I was shaking my hair right now. I was like, "Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> we right. both are. That's, that's right. right." You know, what I'm and you know, kind of like this is in, in line with my next question because, like you said, we got to have that memory, and it's not just to be on the cutting edge. I'm reading, what are you reading right now? I'm reading what's on the New York Times bestseller, <laughs> right? It's not about that. It's, you know, if our logo, even with our site, it's like a, a headphones, music, and we know y'all do audio. We looked at that. You get audio, music, research, headphones, and books because that's how we kind of came into conscientization. We have a love for read, read, we read, read, read. And we went to the website, you know, you, we see little sister with Edward Saeed's book, you know, culture and imperialism, that's that's a very good book. I've read that myself there. You know, we saw a stack of books and stuff. I'm like, oh, look at this, you know. And it's very important, you got, like you said, to sustain, you know what I'm saying, if we can struggle productively not and struggle, you got to have that memory. And you got to have a revolutionary culture that promotes, you know, like a practice, like a theory. You know, no theory, no revolutionary theory. No revolution. I, I mean, yeah, I think it was even Lenin who said that. And obviously, you know, Emil Free graduated high school, like you said, in 1917, Russian Revolution. Ooh, look at me putting all this together. That's from reading. <laughs> That's from reading. I put all this together good. Like, I read a lot. So, you know, like, I remember one time I heard um, Kwame Ture. For those of you not initiated, it is was formerly Stokely Carmichael. Kwame Ture, he said, you know, in the U.S., they don't ban books. You don't read them. You don't read them. We got all this literature here. We don't read them. But as opposed to that, I, you know, I'm not advocating... Anybody on the listening, listening audience, I'm not advocating like book worship, you know, like just because it's in a book, it's true. No, you got to study, you got to investigate, you got to be critical. So I guess my question is, what do you both, either of you can pick it up, what, what do you both think is the importance of learning how to critically engage text and analyze text, you know, an objective, you know, besides what's in my head and subjective, how it means, means to my life basis, and what type of activities did the library have to emphasize, you know, like praxis? Because, um, like I said, the Leon sister had uh, Edward Said, you know, uh, books such I've read that I don't come from necessarily that cultural basis. Like, I've read, like, uh, Maxim Gorky's Mother. I'm looking at that on the bookshelf right now. Max, I mean, I've read, I heard it was a real good book, and I could take some of those applications and apply them to my life. That doesn't mean I think I'm Russian, you know, but... What type of activity so people can engage text? And because a lot of times, especially where we're from, people say, well, if I don't see somebody look like me, it has no meaning to my life. How do we, like, what, are you, what type of activities in the library so you can see people as not just people in the world to be acted upon, but they are actual participants in the world to let them know you have to read and engage because you can shape the world, young sisters and brothers. If any of y'all want to talk about any of those activities, it's whoever wants to take that away. Well, I think the first part of that is also what is text. And so for us, part of what we try to do, work around us, is how do we read the world? So it's not even just books or pamphlets or things like that that we have, but also even how do you understand what's happening in popular culture, how do you right. understand what's happening in politics. And I think that's part of what a broader struggle is, <clears throat> even when we're talking about 
in the earlier conversation, having no memory, having amnesia. But I think what we find is that it's not even just the question of memory, but what kind of memory do we have? Mm. And so I think what we see is that people sometimes will come. Here, Yusuf Amuale is saying that when people come to the library, people will say, oh. Like, oh, that's the real, right? That's the real revolution. That's the real material. That's the revolutionary theory. And you still have to look at it, as you said, critically. You still have to make meaning of it for yourself, right? And so we don't. We think that a lot of even what we have is essentially all lies, right? So you have a pamphlet for a meeting that will look amazing on the on the pamphlet, but if you go to the meeting, there's like the three same people there, right? <laughs> but forty years from then, you look at the pamphlet, you go like, man, they was meeting like that. They were talking about imperialism, right? <laughs> and it wasn't even like that, right? Right, right. And so. For us, that's part of the challenge in trying to talk to people about even the ways in which our history gets used against us. So there are certain ways in which more dominant discourses use history against us. So um, there's an area of south-central Los Angeles called Central Avenue. And back in the day when they had restrictive covenants and all these kind of laws where black people could only live and own homes in certain places because of, you know, essentially a, a legal apartheid, a lot of black folks were congregated around, you know, very specific areas. And so in Central Avenue, you had a lot of jazz clubs, nightclubs, you know, dentists, doctor's offices, insurance, all this kind of stuff. And so it gets used a lot now to kind of look at the glory days of, of, of black L.A. when people wore suits and you know, uh, people knew each other and greeted each other in the street and all that. But it really gets used against black people who are living in poverty today. Yes. So it's kind of like. There was a time when black people know how to act, and now these Negroes walking around <laughs> with their pants sagging. That's don't know right. They do. That's right. That's how they do it. And so it gets used against us, right? Even though you have a lot of black people celebrating that history, but in the way in which there'll be one sentence about the racial apartheid, and then tons of sentences about you know Dizzy Gillespie coming or whatever, and the, and the wonderful jazz. And I don't know what other kind of history you talk about like that. And for us, in the same way, we look at, I think, for folks around today. The way that we've looked at history a lot is, you know, on the front lines getting attacked by police dogs in the South, um, the Black Panther Party with shotguns and confronting the police. And those are kind of those iconic notions that, and images that we have about, about what our history and our struggle has been. And so then we still kind of see the battleground as confronting police, for example. Yes. In ways that silence all the other mundane, everyday yes. realities that black people are suffering. And so we look at our geography in South Central Los Angeles where the infamortality rate for black people is one of the highest in the world. But we steady trying to, trying to fight police murder, right? Mm. And, and that's important, but when you start looking at numbers of black people dying yes, and, and cardiovascular disease and all kinds of things that are preventable through policy, right? That's right. They just had an article come out in the Baltimore Sun what, a week or two ago about how and particularly black women were being sexually assaulted in public housing just to get repairs done in their house. Damn. But don't nobody know their names, yeah. right? But a sister, there's a 33-year-old single parent who says she had to do stuff, and she had just gotten an abusive relationship. She needed stuff fixed. She was worried about her daughter. She was vulnerable, which is how we understand racism, our, our vulnerability to premature death, right? She was vulnerable in that situation, so she was a victim. But we don't know her name, but if she had been killed by police, we would know her name. Exactly. Uh -huh. I, woo, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that's kind of how we think the, the ways in which our own history has miseducated us in a sense, because our memory is that the meaning is found on the streets confronting police. There you go. There you go. And then what, what shapes our demands, right? So you look in, in, across the country that when we're fighting, what we're fighting for is that police officers get charged. 
All yes. Right. Yeah. And that's the limit of horizon of our imagination of what justice <laughs> is. So we understand that when you lock me up, that's not justice. And that don't deter me from anything. But we, the same people that with us, that we understand the impact of that and how that's not going to solve a solution, we still will advocate for that if you don't charge that police officer, then you're letting them know that it's open season on black folks. Well, then you're saying that incarceration is a deterrent, which we know that's not even the reality, right? Yeah. And so what if we were willing to say historically in this moment that we're not going to be confused by, by these individual officers and we're not going to let you embody the impacts of late capitalism into these individual officers. We could care less in this historical moment whether you charge them or not mm-hmm. because we need Wells Fargo to give us our homes back. Man, brother, well, we uh, need uh, the uh, state uh, to change the historical policies that have made us not have homes in the first place. Mm-hmm. That that <laughs> You would see the National Guard the next day, but because of history, we get out in the streets and then when they actually charge, they charge more police officers this year than they ever have. Mm. The state, we, we helping the state do their business. <laughs> right, but we don't. We're not looking at this stuff historically, and so that's that's the challenges that we feel. Uh, even the ways in which people use the resources that we have, in ways that don't lead to transformation and liberatory politics, and so we we ourselves are facing that challenge of, of how do we deal and, and help people look critically at the text in ways that help us read the world, so that we know our sisters' names who are living and suffering and not just been murdered. Oh my God. Uh, 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 uh. Michelle, do you want to say something? Because I, 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 I want, man, Omar Wazi. Yeah. Mm. Okay. That's all I got. I got, I'm sorry, sister. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> no, I was just going to say, we, we see it when people come in, and it's like, there's kind of like this reverence for, like, you know, the primary source documents here. But, you know, um, and, you, you know, ask about practice, but part of it is workshops, leading workshops with people just to, you know, sort of take an image and deconstruct it because, um, it's so easy to kind of fall into, oh well, you know, here's a you know picture of you know AP the you know gun in the spear, and that's revolution. Um, so that's that's part of the work too, is you know even just doing the workshops with teachers, educators, and others to kind of deconstruct those those texts. And I like what uh, basically what you're saying is, it's kind of like um, I I always say this, it's like. They say, oh, the police, they try to, like, despecticalize violence that happens to us. But what about, you know, like you said, uh, uh, infant mortality rate? You know, what about all that wealth that was stolen from them subprime mortgage loans? We're not talking about that. Do you, I mean, I was affected by that. You know, that's not coming back. So when we look at it, we have to look at it from, like, a basis of, a, if they want to analyze what the Panthers were saying, a domestic colonialism type situation here that we got as black folks and other pe- uh, people in this world. This is this, America's the empire and we just a little representatives of where we from, our origins are from, okay? So when we talk about the police, like you said, we come agents of the state to say that they're the deterrence of crime. Like you said, I'd say that because what about the people who die every day? Every day from they can't go to the doctor. You mean to tell me when you run Susan B. Coleman Foundation, you wear your little pink ribbon, that you're going to be able to afford the cancer cure when it come out? Please. Please. And I get tired. I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, uh, whoever. But you ain't got to be sorry. You know, I just, I just get tired. I be trying to emphasize to, to, to people. It's more than just, oh, let's, hey, let, you can't even pass out a flyer and we can't read, understand why they sticking certain celebrities, black celebrities in their forefront 
But you can, we can't talk about the job. We can't talk about colonialism. We can't talk about the wealth. We don't know about exports and all this stuff. And you look at the community and how the wealth is being sucked. Dry. Wells Fargo, I got something for you and Bank of America because you touched me. But yeah, that's, I mean, what do you want? I'm sorry, are you looking over there? I was just going to say something about, like you were saying, insurance, because we talk about this all the time. You know, people don't even have access to health care. And so people are dying of preventative diseases and things like that. You know, and I mean, let's let's not even, you know, people don't even think about the fact that when somebody can set your salary, then they are basically and essentially allocating resources to you. And so when you are underpaid, then you're going to, obviously, you're going to be at a disadvantage, you know, but nobody talks about that. And when you don't have any ownership, it's even worse because then you end up paying most of the taxes, you know, because you have no write-offs, things like that. So you end up at a disadvantage completely, you know, and they always want to make it seem like people who are, you know, who don't make as much money don't pay taxes, but that's not true. The middle class doesn't pay taxes. (laughs) So, you know, it's just all kinds of things. It's the whole structure, superstructure, that people, like you said, are just blindsided. Let's go and attack the police. Well, you know, like we said, the police is organization. And then you go out there as a movement and you want to get the police arrested and all that stuff. Well, they have networks and they have all kinds of things that keep them protected. You know, so I agree. That's all I want to say. How how is it when y'all engage, how do y'all go about engaging the community and kind of because I know people go in there, like you said, rah, rah, you know, maybe some people might say Huey P, you know, that chair, got my spear, got, you know. How do you yeah. even engage? How, I'm, I'm really trying to understand, how do you even talk to some, look here, bro, do you know about mm-hmm. subprime work? Do you know, mm-hmm. let, that, that's not, what? That's not confrontational enough for me. <laughs> <laughs> right. I am Ogun. No, I'm, I'm sorry. Dude. Uh, that's, I mean, there's that's a lot. To, I think we could kind of talk about how, it's unpack that. But I think one level is that we don't. The community engages us. Mm. Um, and also that, you know, a lot of what it comes from is from academics, from activists, from other people that got stake in the game that provides them the spectacle of struggle, right? So that you on the street fighting police, et cetera. So we, we're in South Central. We had a lot of uh, young black men in particular from the neighborhood, so-called gang members, et cetera. They're the most police, some of the most police folks in the world, Right. And they started coming to us, and, and we started doing political education classes, started, started having conversation. Um, and one of the first things we asked them, this is a group of young black men, let's say between 18 and 25, and we said from South Central Los Angeles, we said, well, well what, what, what y'all need? Like, what's the thing y'all need? And what do y'all think the first thing they said was? Money. Money? The first thing these brothers said was deodorant. Oh, wow. And we said that the group because people say jobs. And it's, like, we talking about just the ability to reproduce yourself. Yeah. So as human beings, much less if you a 19-year-old person, you want to be fresh. You want to be fly. Yeah, yeah. We got, folks, we got folks living in garages, right? Getting out of getting out of juvenile detention or jail, living in somebody's garage, don't have nowhere to take a shower. So how are you going to be on the street or at the park? Everybody know you, you can't even clean yourself up. You don't even have a place to store your clothes. Right. And so these are folks that literally get stopped by the police almost every single day and go to jail on a regular basis. And, I, and then they spend a couple of days in jail and just get released because there are basically no, no merits for the charge. The first thing they talk about is not police. Right. And we ask them, go like, OK, well, let's say they charge that police officer and they, that police officer goes to prison. Would you rather that happen or would you rather have housing? 
Because that, yeah. that cop going to going to prison, you still ain't got no housing. Mm-hmm. You're still in the same conditions you were yesterday. And so we see other folks that really want to go and fight the police and yell at the police. And, and we're not saying that we shouldn't speak on that or that's not an issue that we have because that's very much an issue that we have. But the people that's actually fighting the police on a daily and is facing that, they want to live. Mm. And so you see folks have die-ins. We're supposed to celebrate life, but we having die-ins as a protest. Yeah. Folks that's literally dying in the neighborhood, they're trying to live. They're trying to find ways. They want to go to, to Red Lobster on a date. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's, what we, that's what the folks want. You understand what I'm saying? Like, uh, it's not just, well, I want to be confrontational and I want to do that. We're already struggling. We're already fighting. And so the question is, like, what are we fighting over and what are the demands and, and how do we see that, right? And so we see folks that, one, don't have housing, right? And so then how does that impact your, your interpersonal relationships? Because then you, yeah, have, yeah. you have older black women who have a drug felony conviction, so they're not eligible for any social services, much less housing. You got older black men, some of whom have Section 8 and have housing. So what happens? They start trading sex for housing, right? And they don't want to go to access to social services because they're still using drugs and they'll go to prison. And so there's no, there's no resources available to them, and they, so they're they in a, an abusive relationship just to have housing or literally just to eat. We had a sister, and she was cleaning a library for us, and she said, well, I can clean on these days, but on Friday, I go see my boyfriend, and that's when I eat. That's not an issue that we talk about. You got yeah. young brothers, right? If, you, if you're a 22 young black man from South Central, and you ain't in prison by that time, or maybe for very few of you in college, or you're not dead or moved out the neighborhood, there is nothing for you. Because you're not 13, right? All the programs is for young folks because they're still politically innocent, right? Oh, yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. So they ain't nothing. So you're 22-year-old. ain't nothing for you. They, all these brothers is homeless. Yeah. But then what do you do? Who do you stay with? You stay with that sister down the block, right? And we got we even got sisters that's older. I'm saying for this pop, these young brothers, and they'll go stay with her, and they go stay one night, and they go stay with someone else the other night, right? And so then they start getting fights over that. And, and so I'm not advocating the behavior, but what I'm saying is that's an easy solution if people have housing. It, 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 yeah, it makes, it makes people vulnerable on so many different mm-hmm. levels to be susceptible to where you have to put yourself in positions. And then everybody who, who want to, like, sit up and, like, moralize, you know what I'm saying? People who try to do the moral thing and the, the personal character and responsibility, you, you're, you only have morals as much as your check can allow you. Like you said, when you need some deodorant, Hey, you know, I'm not even trying to intellectualize the thing, but I'm just recalling some uh, 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 Milcar Cabral said. He said, people ain't dying over no ideals. They dying trying to get a better way of life. And then, like you said, and, and that's Look, what, mor- mor- morals and ethics is only for people living in poverty. Mm-hmm. Right? You watch all them, all them zombie movies, things like that. What do folks do when the, when the state crumbles? They, they out there looting. Yep. There you go. They make sure they're getting that. Because there's always like when their kids got asthma or something in the movie. So they got to go to the pharmacy and find that medication. <laughs> and then they take right? it as good for their kids. Right? <laughs> and, they, and they doing it. Uh-huh. But so you sit in a geography in a lot of our communities in which the state has abandoned it for generations. Yes. And then all of a sudden it comes into how dare you act like that. And folks is not wilding out as much as you know you would wild out in that movie. Did oh. you know if, if the state was no longer around, you would be out in the street with your gun. But you look at people in these neighborhoods who are not even doing nothing close to what you would know you would do. And you judging them morally and ethically. And I'm not, look, I don't want to make this analogous. I'm not even comparing the situation because people get, get upset about stuff like this. But when you look at, like, something like the Warsaw Ghetto, right? You see mm-hmm. all these documentaries and stuff. Folks, is, they, they people who survived in the Holocaust, either in the, in the ghettos or in the concentration camps, they stole shoes from people. They took clothes and money off people that was dead. They stepped over dead bodies. 
That's how right. They survive. Ain't nobody judging them going like, well, we need, you need a mentor. We got to talk about your behavior because they understand this in the context of the Holocaust. It's in the context of abject violence, right? So, they, so we're not talking about your behavior right now, and that would be obscene to do so. But you got geographies in which people is, is suffering these kinds of conditions, and we want to talk about your behavior and how you chose to survive it. Mm-hmm. And act as if you have so little humanity that you need a gang intervention worker or you need a mentor to talk to you. Ain't nobody saying when this dude shoot up the Charleston church that he should have had a mentor. He showed man. But the, re- but the reason is because we afford him his humanity. We I'm, said, well, yep. you chose to do that. Yep. When brothers shoot somebody in the street and these neighbors go like, that's senseless violence and you needed a mentor. We're not even allowing our violent acts to have to be our own, out of our own uh, agency and hold ourselves accountable to it in that way. It's somehow in this community, it's senseless. There's no reason for it. But we allow white, the white dudes to go do mass shooters. We allow them their agency. Not only that, then yeah. you go sing for them and want to want to pray for their soul. And forgive them after that. And like you said, I, uh, uh, the, I say the Jewish Holocaust because you know there's been other Holocausts, mm-hmm. and I say the Jewish Holocaust because I know what happened to them was terrible. But you know that was an internal beef with family members, and everybody was 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 hopping on my head, hopping on our head. Okay, and like you said, no, it was called. That's when the ghetto term came up when they was doing it. That's when genocide came up. Yeah, we got in the nineteen forties. That's when they called Stockholm skin syndrome. Now we had Stockholm syndrome before we had Stockholm syndrome. You see what I'm saying? And like you said, they ain't sending no gang intervention. Maybe. Y'all need to drop y'all religion and go uh, study some Christianity, have you a, a faith, an open faith network, interfaith network, whatever they be trying to do in the prisons and try to bring them to Christ and stuff. Bring me some, some food. That's why I tell people all the time when you're struggling, I've been hungry before. I ain't going on no hunger strike. That's for sure. Because I'm, when I'm hungry, I'm going to give me something to eat. That's what yeah. people be saying. I'm, 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 go ahead. Michelle wanted to say something. <laughs> no, no. I mean, it's just, we see it every day. It's like people are... are that people are trying to live, you know, and um, under really, you know, hard scrabble conditions. And, um, you know, that just gets so discounted of what the context is. And it's really heartbreaking to see. Okay, sorry. <laughs> I'm just so en- en- engulfed in what y'all are saying because I agree with everything. I, I don't just, even have me, anything to add. And I just want to, I want to say this because because you said brought brought it up. And I want to say like you said with them zombie movies where they always going and breaking in the store and doing their thing. I always pose in these movies because one of the biggest hindrances the state is what creates the conditions for the way we living in right now. So I say if you remove that state, I, I bet you. We can set up something a little bit better than what we got now. That's they terror. If you, if you look at popular culture right now, you look at what they're doing. They're doing the madman thing. They're going back to the glorious 1950s, right? And then they're positing the apocalypse. So what does that mean, capitalism, late-stage capitalism got for you? Nothing. Nothing. They ain't got nothing to offer you. They ain't got nothing. Yeah. They even saying it in their culture. That's why people are so, everybody in their mind see don't see no future with this. You know what I'm saying? And that's why it's important to have these institutions where you say they don't see no future because I'm telling you, I go get me some dodoring. The police wasn't up there. You see what I'm saying? And I think that's it, at this whole general malaise, this imbued in Western society. What, what that boy Mark said, he said, you know, the birth pains and blood is the generation of a new society about to come. You know, the fire is coming. It's, it's here. We here. burn yeah. it. 
You know, nobody want to talk about that Wells Fargo in 08 because that's the past. They ain't talking about it no more. Let's talk about something else. Ooh, no, that's still affecting people and it's going to continue to affect people. See, people think just because you ain't talking about it in the news no more, people ain't affected by it, affect you to this day. Slavery was the past. But I speak English. But anyway, I'm sorry. Uh, you want to move on to the next question? I'm I just sorry. wanted to say too, because you y'all, y'all were talking about zombies. It's amazing how they always posit that. Oh, we want to go back to the world as it used to be. The world as it used to be was an awful mess for most people. So. And it was got you with the zombies in the first place. Right, and then they have, you know, they have people on there who look like us talking about, yeah, we want to go back. No, you don't. <laughs> no, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, okay, let's go to the next question. Lately I've been too busy hustling, gathering my brothers together to fuck up the government. The police don't do their job, there's never no peace. So I'm low key, no intent to let me go. Read what you're so seen, so I grow seeds into OZs to proceed. There's no time for no sleep, no time to start keys in the last days. No time for lattes, cocktail parties, all we do in our. Before him, we never had no father figure. Wasn't born by the river in a little tent. Still a long time coming, running in wet cement. I wasn't born by the river in a little tent. Still a long time coming, running in wet cement. For a couple of extra pence, without a single soul to buck up in our defense. Banging on the system, things are fucked, but how we gonna fix them? Banging on the system, things are fucked, but how we gonna fix them? My brothers and my sisters, banging on the system, things are fucked, but how we gonna fix them? Banging on the system, things are fucked, but how we gonna fix them before we self destruct? Had of being told a better day will come. Banging on the system, I'm tired of seeing youths die and they're still young. Banging on the system. I'm tired of being sucked dry by the system. Banging on the system. Tired of being taken for the victim. Banging on the system. Banging on the system. Tired of being told a better day will come. Banging on the system. I'm tired of seeing youths die and they're still young. Banging on the system. I'm tired of being sucked dry by the system. Banging on the system. Tired of being taken for the victim. On the system, things are fucked, but how we gonna fix them? Banging on the system, things are fucked, but how we gonna fix them? My brothers and my sisters, banging on the system, things are fucked, but how we gonna fix them? Banging on the system, things are fucked, but how we gonna fix them before we self destruct? Walk on road in this world cold Mission to report souls that were sold We spit things inside the fire in the bowl Pray for guidance to chant down walls like Jericho Remove blindfolds from misguided in the old War victims, battered women, scattered children Scandalous living, that corruption that they're giving Heads and need MCs congregate on this rhythm To destruct this corrupt system Where babies cry but nobody listens Stars glow, we don't see them glisten Sick of this world we're living in Where it's the in thing to sin And we're all giving in Ginseng, hypnotizing Youth who should be rising, wise men yeah. yeah, wish I could fly them past the stars Show them who they really are Cause this life is just one part Need to purify the heart Place plantations with this heart Programs are banging on the system Things are fucked, but how we gonna fix them? Banging on the system Things are fucked, but how we gonna fix them? My brothers and my sisters Banging on the system Things are fucked, but how we gonna fix them? 
Banging on the system Things are fucked but how we gonna fix them Before we self-destruct Yeah Now people are for complain And point fingers and point blame But what we gonna do ourselves To make some serious change Before these things get too late we Need to look at ourselves in the mirror And think what can I do myself To make things different Rago, Zulu, Rebel we wanted to talk about, you know, just in general, just like the political situation just in, in L.A., you know, with, you know, every place is being gentrified. So we, you know, know that's an issue. And, and also austerity, you know, they have all these uh, threats of shutting down the government, which affects, you know, people who are relying on, you know, different types of aid and things like that. And other things, you know, globally. You know, all the things that affect us here, just like, you know, when they go and bomb Libya, well, what does that do to the gas prices? Stuff like that. Like, what? how are those contradictions, how are those, in, like, affecting people in that area, you know? And, like, what types of resistance are people kind of engaged in in order to, you know, in addition to the day-to-day like we talked about, but what type of resistance is happening that, you know, that, that's being effective, and things like that. Um, <laughs> on one level, right, like every everything that you said, like all that's happening here and people suffering, the impact yeah. of, of all that stuff, yeah. whether it's gentrification, yes. right, you've got housing issues, homelessness, you got environmental problems, you got mm-hmm. uh, incarceration, policing, healthcare, all that stuff, mm-hmm. up and down. Part of one issue is that it's almost like, you know, you got to walk before you can run. It's almost like we're not even to the level of even talking about that stuff yet. But also, one of the issues that we see in L.A., which is not to say that ain't nobody doing nothing or nothing good is happening, but a lot of what would be resistance has been appropriated by the state, by the foundations, mm. by corporations. Um, and I don't, again, I wasn't around back in the day, but it seemed in, in, in ways it seemed to be more than, than maybe they have been before. And I think one of the outcomes of, of 1992 in L.A. was I think people were very clear, like the state in all its manifestations became very clear that of its own failure that, that allowed the moment of 92 to explode like that. Yeah, yeah. That that was a failure of not having other avenues for people to voice their displeasure that, would, that the state would see as more, more um, legitimate. And so after that, you had a rise of a lot of nonprofits, a lot of organizing mm-hmm. groups that, that provided a more legitimate, so, so everything became kind of about policy change, right? And like yes. going to Sacramento and passing this thing and, and, and et cetera. And so, you know, because y'all intend, like without getting specific kind of propositions and, and other forms of legislation, a lot of this stuff gets, as nonprofits, we get money to work on certain issues. And so all of a sudden, something will pop, and people will get a whole bunch of money. And that now will shape the kind of organizing that fo- and the kind of resistance that folks have. Even though they're not necessarily organizing whole sectors of communities, they might have a, a large organization might only have 200 members that actually show up for something, which in the grand scheme of things is not a lot of people. Um, but so that's what shaped a lot of resistance that's actually going on. And so there's, there's more specific things that we could talk about but you know, that pertain to L.A. in terms of actual legislation or actual campaigns. But that's kind of the, the challenge that we see is that there isn't a lot of, particularly in even a resourced resistance. All right. Again, we had a little drop off in the recording. Right there, Yusef Omawali just said that there's not a lot of particular resource resistance 
that meaning that people who do resist uh, oppressive conditions don't have a lot of resources and we're going to come back with him saying and those who do have a lot of resources so we're going to pick up from there right now limited by that but folks that have some resources where that becomes their job where they can do things it's really their resistance is shaped by the agendas of billionaires like quite literally mm. yes. so if you're talking about education right all the kind of stuff that's happened nationally around the privatization of education well the groups that are fighting that are funded by the billionaires who are trying to do it so you know what i mean like what it, when what what gets positioned as the left is actually the neoliberal yes. right mm-hmm. like but but like one for one like not me it's not me saying it's like you look at what they say on paper and then you look at what what you know mm-hmm. yeah Bill exactly on paper exactly. it's the same thing is it yeah but it's positioned as the left yes and so then it's like well if that's the left then when someone else says something else like you sound crazy mm-hmm because mm-hmm. the left is already crazy right like saying the neoliberal thing makes you sound like you just radical left so if you're gonna speak against that it's like well you don't even want nobody to get education it's like no that's not what we're saying mm-hmm. right and so mm-hmm. that's more of what we see happening particularly in la i don't know what it's like in a lot of other places but it's rough out here in, in the context of that. It really sounds like the national agenda yeah. of what they tried to put in is pretty much the, the uh, consistent. Everywhere. It looks like, uh, like you, I like what you just said. It kind of reminds me when I think of uh, like in, uh, in Africa when everybody was pushing for national liberation. They said, let them have it. We carved up the borders at the Berlin Conference. Let them have it. You know what I'm saying? Their economy is tied to the metropole. Let them have it. They learn. Like you said, after the after 92 and stuff like that, they learn. Give them a voice. Put some money about it. Ta- suck out the tax bases. Take that money. Put it in there. Put, give it to foundations. And like you said, some people have money. Like this show, we put our own money into it. This ain't no, mm-hmm. dude, dude, this is us. So like we said, oh, the recording stopped. That was real. You know what I mean? Sometimes things mm-hmm. be happening. So, uh, 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 you know, and people don't want to do that. They, they, they want to, like you said, they learn not to rely on themselves. And I ain't talking about no... So be rely on yourself, right wing stuff. I'm talking about working with people. You know what I'm saying? Because they got an agenda. I was a book I read a, a while back called uh, "The Revol- The Revolution Won't Be Funded" or something like that, and it was mm-hmm. talking about all them nonprofits and stuff like that. And it's really to me, it's like neo-colonialism. That's really what they're doing, man. Because they can't move in that same way, so they want to take up everybody's energy. You know what I'm saying? And they have these spaces. And then spaces, like you saying, like 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 the Southern California Library and like what we're doing, it kind of get like, oh, y'all, that's that's not, y'all don't even have the left, this is the left pamphlet. And it says, hug a police officer every day. Tell him to call 911 every day. And then, then y'all talking about what? A- autonomy? What is, what is your, a separatist group? You, know, you don't want a sponsor? You don't want a sponsor? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm just in, in general. I'm generalizing, making light. I kid, I joke, but that's pretty much what I'm. Well, you know, like you said, it's tough, but you know, the struggle continues. You know, so I'm, I'm yes, exactly. So, right, and that that's part of the challenge is, is the folks who have read, who both kind of in some ways writ, wrote and have read the the revolution will not be funded in books like that or dialectical historical materialism, et cetera, et cetera. They the ones doing this stuff. Exactly. So, <laughs> So it's not like, you know, there's such a, a disjunction between like, well, there's this information or this is the language that we use, but then this is the work that we do. And they tend to be two different things. So, and I, but they had a proposition called Proposition 47 that just got passed 
out in, in, in California supported by a lot of the left groups. And essentially what it said is that, well, we're going to reclassify certain crimes as non-felonies so that people can get out of prison. And so every, a lot of people were supporting it. And again, it was funded by philanthropy and these other groups. But a lot of left groups supported it because they're like, we've got to bring people home. We've got to get people out of prison. And when we know how what's happening to our communities in terms of incarceration rates, like that's one of the basic things we want is we want people to get out of prison. But the other thing the legislation said was, well, you can get out or get reclassified unless you've done this, you've had a violent this. You've, so what it also did was classify a whole bunch of people and, and, and justify legally that they shouldn't get out of prison. Mm, right? Yeah, And I we see. supported that. But here's the thing. If let's say that was 15 years ago and the political climate was such that we're like, man, this is all we're going to get. So we got to support it strategically so we can at least get some people home, even though we know it's going to codify that some people probably are, it's going to be harder to get them home. But this is all we can get right now. But you're in a historical moment in California, which the state of California has been mandated by the Supreme Court of the United States. that They have to release people from prison. Much less you saw the federal prison just let thousands of people out just the other day. Right. Right. So you're at a moment where they got to let people go because it's not working for them. So if we did nothing, people still coming home. But instead of even just doing nothing, what we did was support legislation that was going to justify and support the state and keep other people locked up and acted like it was a victory for us. Hmm. We had a brother from the neighborhood. He was like, maybe at the time, 19 years old. He had been locked up. He went to see his parole officer. His mother was with him. The parole officer, he felt, was speaking disrespectful to his mother. He told the, the, the parole officer, so like, don't talk to my mom like that. He started getting at her. The parole officer was like, you're going to talk back to me. I'm going to violate you and send you back to prison. He was like, no, you're not, because they ain't got no room. You ain't going to send me back for that. The most <laughs> I'm going to do is, is 60 days. So go ahead and send me back. I'm not going to shut up. And he, and he was out to tell me that story, right? She didn't send him back. <laughs> so what I'm saying is you have someone who's experiencing those conditions, who understood the political moment better right. than the political organizations Ooh. that have resources to organize it understood the issue. Mm. And it's the political organizations that lied to communities about what the, the proposition was going to do. Because the price said, oh, well, money that we're going to save from locking people up is going to go back into the community in terms of schools and drug rehabilitation and victim services. When in actuality, that money is going to go to a board to give out grants. That board is made up of parole officers, prison officials, police Ooh. officers. <laughs> they decide where the money goes. So it's, this proposition is helping the state administer and manage the fact that they got to let people out of prison. And we supported that as political organizations on the left. That's what's happening in L.A. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think it's very important what you said. You got, y'all, you got to have that political, astute political analysis, just like you just said, because I think a lot of times people in general, and this is just me, I'm like, I don't like, you know, I like people take the information, read it, and then you make the decision. You know, people who write certain books, you know, read the information. If the information is good, take from it what it is. But don't look at that person or that organization that might have written the book and don't think that they're not doing the same. They might give you a blueprint of what they're doing there. You see what I'm saying? So it's... But see, go ahead. this is what happens, right? So like, like y'all ain't got a lot of money. We ain't got a lot of money. We ain't got a lot of time because we got to hustle and do things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so what happens is they might get a foundation or whoever might get a library or another organization. Here's some grant money. We want you to support Proposition 47 that's going to let people out of prison. Then we sent out an email saying, hey, there's this great proposition. This is what's going to do. I don't, I don't tell you what it's really going to do. And so you read the email. You like the library. You don't actually go read the proposition language itself, which is on the Internet. It's public information. So every proposition, you can go read the actual text. But how many people are going to take the time to do that? So you say, oh, the library's for it. I'm going to support it, too, because I ain't got time to read I talked to this one teacher. He was like, oh, I voted for Prop 47. 
And I started telling him what it really was, and he goes like, oh, really? But see, he, he relied on the organization that he trusted that said vote for it. Mm. And that's the role that we play as nonprofit organizations, is that we get the money and tell people who ain't got no time to actually read the joint. We don't even, we don't send out the email saying, here's the link, make sure you read it. Before you do anything, make, don't just take my word for it, read it for yourself. We don't, the organizations that try to get these people to support stuff, we don't say that. We don't even give you a link in the email. Mm. When it's on the, it's on the internet. Yeah. The whole text is on there, and when you read it, you go like, oh, wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> what right, the supporting? new thing that we had that we had a national organization just go, oh, they claim victory in this proposition that, that just happened that was for alternative forms of custody for women. And so because, again, they got to let people out, it's like, well, instead of you being in, in prison, you can be in a halfway house or you can be at home or you can be all this other stuff. And it's, it's just like being locked up, right? Well, that's because, again, and I understand for, for that particular woman that might go from prison to their home arrest, like, that's a qualitative difference that's very important for that particular individual, right? But again, the same, this legislation, again, says you're eligible unless you've done all these other horrible things. So, again, it codifies the fact and justifies that some people should be locked up. Mm-hmm. It says things like, well, 24 hours a day, you are subject to search and seizure by police while you're on alternative custody. Damn. How is that a victim? So, like, why? I don't... Like, they're going to do this anyway because they got to let people out. Why are, we, why are we carrying water for that? Why are we claiming that as a victory? So you say illegal. Look, we had groups that had halfway houses for women get out of prison. They were in social justice, and they would protest the fact that police would come into and, and, and come in the middle of the night, handcuff the woman, search the room. Because you know, if they find like something like a butter knife in your room, you can get violated, and go back to prison, right? So they would be protesting that. Well, now these same groups have claimed victory in a proposition that legally says I can go and search and seizure anytime right. I want when you are in alternative custody. That's not a victory for us. Oh, it's not. But ain't no one reading the actual text. They just reading like, oh, alternative custody, and I love the group, and we social justice, and we fight for abolition, and that's, you know. And I, like, this is what we claim is victory. So this is, a, for us, this is, at this historical moment, this is a state of our resistance. It's defined by our opposition. Okay, I'm back. And this is where we got to leave it for now, but don't worry. If you want to check out the full interview for all of our shows, go to conscientization101.com or c101magazine.com and check out our subscription benefits page. This page details how you can access all of C101 interviews, including this one and much more. And remember, as a subscriber, you will be supporting 100% independent media. This episode features the track Right This Wrong instrumental by D-Ski from the Free Leonard Peltier Hip Hop's contribution to the Freedom Campaign and Ragazula Rebels track called Banging on the System featuring Poetic Pilgrims from Raggo's latest album The Struggle Continues 2007. We would like to thank Michelle and Youssef for being on the show and taking the time to talk with us and we hope to have them back if you want to know more information about the library or you would like to contact them, the website address is www.socalilb.org. That is www.socallib.org. All right, and don't forget to check us out on Twitter at Conchian1. That's C-O-N-S-C-I-E-N and the number one on Facebook at Conscientization101 and Instagram at C101 Editors. And also, please remember, we have some changes coming to the site. 
and it'll give you more access so you'll like it okay so stay tuned that's coming early next year so stay tuned and we will see you on the next episode peace